Hello and welcome to the Sales Genius Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about how to address the biggest reason that making sales is difficult and how you can make sales a whole lot easier for you and your organization. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Sales Genius Podcast. My name is Doug Davidoff and I am your host. Today, I'm going to be talking about one of the most important discoveries that I've made in my career in sales that's had a tremendous impact on both my ability to make sales with, well, candidly, a lot less effort than a lot of other salespeople and has also enabled the companies that we work with and the salespeople that we work with to reduce the total amount of time energy and frustration that they have to put forth to make sales as well. Now, it falls under one of my battle cries, which is if you want to shorten the sales cycle, the first thing you have to do is slow down the sales process. Uh, And it's all about strategically deciding where do you want to establish the resistance to making a decision. Most sales approaches move the resistance to the very end when the ultimate decision gets made. I'm a big fan of moving the resistance, well, as far up as you possibly can. Now, this is not some trite strategy like get them to say yes to small things so that when you ask them the big things, it's easier to say yes or get them nodding their head. And before you know it, they're so used to nodding their head that when you ask them to buy, they just nod their head. This is really about addressing the major causes of decision reluctance and decision resistance. To understand what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to share with you, well, one of my favorite pieces of sales trivia. And that is, did you know that the word decide and the word homicide have the same Latin root? They both mean the same thing. Decide and homicide both mean to kill. Now, homicide means to kill another person. This side means to kill other options. And that's why people hate making decisions. Making decisions, no matter how important, is difficult. It actually puts people through a very painful biochemical response. Think about it. What argument takes place in almost every household somewhere between 5.30 and 8.30 at night? What do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want? Imagine if the decision actually mattered. You see, when you're looking at the new sales process, it's not really about making sales. It's not really about to buy or not to buy. It's really about to change or not to change. To paraphrase William Shakespeare, to change or not to change, that is the question. You see, we're not managing a sales process so much as we're managing a change process and a decision process. Now, if you look at the research from CSO, Forrester, Gartner CEB, you're going to see that over the last 15 years, we've seen a consistent increase in the percentage of sales or buying processes that end in no decision. You see, one of the things I've learned is Once you start advocating for your solution, once you make it clear that you want them to buy whatever it is that you might be selling, 
you're a salesperson. And, well, salespeople are guilty until proven innocent. Um, I, I, I say that kiddingly, and I, and I really do mean that kiddingly. But once we start advocating for something, we're now advocates. And, and the natural structure of an advocacy is that it's going to be adversarial. Now, I don't mean mean adversarial, but it is me versus you. It is, well, what does this mean? And we lose a tremendous amount of our influence once we start advocating for a decision. I, I've often used um, the analogy of saving money. Right. If, if you want to retire one day, you've got to save money and you've got to save enough money so that on the day that you retire, that you will not run out of money until the end of your time. Uh, Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talked about the idea of an emotional bank account. And I'm paraphrasing here. I haven't read it in quite some time. But but basically, the whole idea of trust, do I trust you, do I feel good with you, comes down to, well, do you have a positive or negative emotional bank account balance, right? And, and when we do things that feel good for somebody else, we're making deposits in the emotional bank account. And then if we do something that doesn't make them feel so good, well, if we've made a lot of deposits, then we can afford to make some of those withdrawals. And that's why if we do something big to somebody that we're close to, it's forgiven very easily. Yet oftentimes if we do something very small to someone that we're not close to, it's never forgiven. Well, I've learned the same kind of thing happens in sales. You see, the moment you start advocating, the moment the the buy decision starts happening, should I do this, should I not do this, should I buy this, should I not buy this, that's when the withdrawals occur. Everything that happens up to that point, what I refer when I'm doing sales training is building the business case, that has the equivalence of putting deposits into that quote-unquote bank account. Now, Now, in fairness, as a salesperson or as a sales organization, we do not impact 100% of our customers' bank balance. It's not unusual, as a matter of fact, that some people might come with such a balance of you know, it, of their own that they built on their own in some way, shape, or form before they even start talking to you that, that will successfully make a sale never making a deposit into the bank account. And, and we're able to win that business because, well, the balance was big enough that as we started selling, for lack of a better word, we started making our withdrawals, there was a positive balance left when, the, when it was time to make the final decision. And, you know, it's kind of like retirement. You, you know, once you hit that point, once you get to advocacy, once the buying decision happens, the withdrawals start to occur. Now, you know, you can retire you end up spending a little bit too much money in your first years of retirement. The markets don't do as well. Um, you go back to work to put some deposits back into your uh, real bank account. Now, you can do that. Those people that have done that will be the first ones to tell you it's not easy. Um, and it's very rarely fun. right? And, and the same is true. If, if you start making withdrawals and you realize, oh, wait a second, we're going to run out of money – there are things you can do to go back to, to make those deposits, but they're very hard to do, and you have to put a lot more effort to generate that deposit. right? And, and so the thing that you've got to 
work on is when does that decision process really start to kick in? When does your customer, when does your, your prospect start really thinking about the decision that they're going to make? Now, about 15 years ago, I was working with a client and I came to a realization as I was trying to explain this concept, not, not as well thought out as it is now, but this was the beginning of what I'm talking to you about today. And, and, and I was talking to my client and I was explaining, you know, if you really look at what great salespeople do, great salespeople don't make one sale. They really make three different sales. They have what I called and still call today a three sale mindset, right? Where most people are focusing on sale three. What great salespeople and great sales organizations know <clears throat> is that the sale is really made in sale one and sale two. Sale one is all about defining the problem and deciding that the problem is big enough that the status quo is not okay. Now realize the problem could be a good problem or a bad problem, an opportunity or a trouble. But in sale one, that's where the decision to change is made. That's what sale one is all about. Do I need to change? Is the status quo viable? Sale two is, how do I solve that problem? What's the best way to solve that problem? Sale three is, who's the best company? What's the best product to use to implement the solution that I've settled on? And you see, most sales organizations and most salespeople are running around talking sales three. We're the best, we're the best. Let me tell you about our proprietary this or whatever that. And when, when you're in sale three, you're in full scale withdrawal, right? You're, you're taking from the decision bank account. Sale two, it, it, it edges to the negative balance, right? The deposits get made in sale one. And, and, and the reason for that is this whole aspect about resistance, how our brain works, and where the status quo or, or how the status quo impacts the perception of decisions that we're going to make that are going to impact our future. And he, here's what you need to understand. In, in almost any situation, if you're involving any type of new sale where a change is going to be involved, at some point in time, you are going to hit resistance. Um, it might be at the end, um, you're asking them to pay a premium price. Maybe they're paying for something to address an issue that they hadn't uh, they weren't addressing the issue before, so they hadn't been paying anything for it. So now it's going to be a new line item. They've got to tell an uh, existing vendor that they've worked with for multiple years that they're making a change. They've got to put their you-know-what on the line to their boss. They've got to commit the time so that their team will adopt whatever the initiative is. It could be any number of things, but when it comes time to make that decision – we're killing our options, and that's scary. And research that was done, um, it was reported in the Harvard Business Review. You could look it up. It was called Eager Sellers and Stony Buyers. Talked about the fact that when change is involved, sellers tend to overestimate the impact, the benefit of what they're talking about by a factor of three and underestimate the risk or cost, perceived cost by a factor of three. And the buyer does the exact opposite. They overestimate the risk by a fa and cost by a factor of three and understand and underestimate the positive impact by a factor of three. Right? So we have sellers and buyers that are speaking very, very different languages at that point of decision. 
and and the reason is because of how we process decisions, how we perceive risk, how we perceive costs, and what the power of inertia and the status quo really has. Right. And so the question you've got to answer is, do you want to deal with resistance very early, often before there's even a bona fide sales opportunity that's been defined? Right. If I haven't decided that I have a problem that's big enough to do something about, I'm not buying anything. And so I'm not necessarily a defined sales opportunity yet. Or do you want to move that resistance back? And, and if you move it back, how far back do you move it? Right. That is, I believe, the most important strategic sales decision that anybody makes in any sales process with any customer or account. Where do we encounter, where do we manage the resistance? Now, the traditional sales approach is to go down what I call the happy path, right? Push the decision, I'm sorry, push the resistance to the end. And, and the reason for that is, is understandable, right? I'm a salesperson. I'm working really hard to generate opportunities. My manager is telling me that I need more opportunities in my pipeline. I don't want to lose the sale before it started. I don't want to risk offending, upsetting this person, this organization that I'm building a relationship with before things have started. Um, Let's get along. Plus, I know that once I have an opportunity to explain everything and once I have an opportunity to help them realize all the things that I've learned then, then they will see the decision just as clearly as I see it, and, and they'll realize that this is just the right thing to do. See, that, that's human nature. I just need to show it to them. So we push the resistance back. But the problem is, I now have to decide, as the buyer, do I want to kill my status quo? We've all heard the devil I know is better than the devil I don't know. This is what that means. And and in today's world where consensus is so powerful in, in how decisions get made, whether it's formal consensus or informal consensus, we have to put our butts on the line to move forward. And so there's this illusion of the status quo. There's the illusion of let's sit tight. Hey, let me think about it. Right? I, I learned a long time ago that when the customer said, this sounds really good, or the prospect, I should say, said, this sounds really good, let me think about it, give me a couple days, they weren't lying to me. Now, they didn't have an answer in a couple of days, but what happened was is they started to go into a decision process, and it started to hurt. Think about it. Think about the last time you made a big decision. In the moments before making the decision, I'll bet you that the vast majority of emotions and feelings you had were negative, possibly even physically painful. And so we push it off. And it's so easy to push off today because we've got more than enough things that are trying to occupy our time and attention. And we say, well, well, let me work on that. Let me get this in place. Let me get that in place. Well, and, and even when we do ultimately move forward, because we've got this fear, we push for price concessions. Uh, the number of times I see somebody, I see a buyer 
pushing a seller to reduce their price to the point where there, there's no margin for error for the seller. There's no, there's no real ability to truly in, invest and reinvest in their capabilities and their go-to-market strategies. And so we're almost pricing for failure, right? The, the implementation at the end gets muddled because we, we look at concessions and, and we're trying to drive this around and that and, and, and we play this comparison game, the best of three. All of those things come to play. And, and the reason is because the buyer's going, well, you know, um, I mean, it's not all bad. Um, well, let, but before I take this big risk, let me just kind of sit tight. Let's, let's let this play. And what we have to do as sellers is we have to demonstrate and, and help our prospect, help our customer understand there really is no such thing as the status quo. Things are always changing. If you have a problem, you're paying for that problem every day. I'm going to talk in a future podcast about defining the cost of the problem. And when you help somebody understand, and I, well, let me give you a real example. I was working with a customer. This was a long time ago, probably 17 years ago. We were assessing their sales organization, and, and we basically identified that this 20-person sales organization, because of how things were structured, you know, basically they they had about a $2.5 million problem, right? That they should have been producing $2.5 million more revenue without a single cost adjusting. And, and, and once they understood that, you know, whatever 2.5 million divided by 365 is, is a meaningful amount of money. All of a sudden the decision reluctance went away. Right. And, and when they began to think about at the end where they would normally think about, well, what part of the status quo, what part of what I'm used to and what I'm comfortable with, can I keep? Well, I, they didn't even think about that because well, because we put the resistance up front, because we we focused on sale one, what's the problem? What's the change that you need to make? What has to be different? Why does your status quo, why does your existing situation, why is it incapable of delivering the result that you want? Why do you have to change? And you see, once the decision was made that they had to change, the decision reluctance was taken care of. There was no more decision reluctance. The decision had been made. Right? And when they made that decision, I wasn't a salesperson because there was no specific solution that I was advocating for. We talk about being a trusted advisor as a salesperson, and that's what this really means. I was advising my customer and advising my customer's teams to understand the problem, the cause of the problem, the issues, the consequences, and why change was needed. Right? Now, yeah, I faced resistance there. And I can tell you my, my selling peers, they were making proposals before I had even said this is a first-stage sales opportunity. But I can tell you that my peers spent a lot more time per sale. I can tell you they had much lower closing ratios. I can tell you that they had much more disruption through that process. 
And I can tell you that when they closed sales, they closed them at, lo at lower margins. And they also tended to have more service disruptions as a result. Right? And that, that's what we've seen across the board when we work with sales organizations and teach them to move that resistance to the beginning. Right? Change is going to need to be made. We're going to have to go through that decision process. And the question is, do you want to be dealing with that part of the equation when the negotiating factor is about your proposition or the negotiating factor is what level, how much change is necessary, how much disruption is there? Work with your customer to understand what type of changes do they need to make? What's the change of course? What's the change of speed? Move the resistance, move addressing resistance to the beginning of your sales process rather than the end. You'll be dealing with far less urgent situations, so you'll have much more control of your time. Your time per sale will decrease significantly. And, and what's more, when you close the sale, you and your customer will still really like each other. So move the resistance up front. That is today's Sales Genius Insight. Don't forget, you can join the Facebook group if you haven't joined the Sales Genius Network Facebook group. Join the network to get access to the show notes, a couple of resources that we're going to be providing based on today's podcast and a whole myriad of other content assets, resources, and tools for you in the Sales Genius Network. And if you're dealing with any type of sales, customer acquisition, customer success, demand generation, marketing challenge, Send me an email, tweet me, let me know. Uh, we'll make it a topic of a future Sales Genius podcast. Until next time, go out and be a sales genius.